Welcome to our study of Hebrews chapter 9. We're continuing our study, beginning with verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place yearly, with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly, since the foundation of the world. But, as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, since we have discussed the verses at the early part of this paragraph, I want to call your attention to verse 26, where it talks about the end of the age. He appeared once for all at the end of the age. That can also be translated, and it is in some translations, the consummation of the ages. And by the way, that's plural in the Greek. There are ages. The Bible talks about ages, and we need to get some understanding of them. He came in the fullness of time, at the end of which age? The law age. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But in the fullness of time God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. He didn't come in the New Testament age because the New Testament age didn't begin until Jesus Christ was crucified. He lived under the law in what we call the law age. Now, in regard to this fullness of time, there's some precision here. As we study prophecy, particularly Daniel chapter 9, we see that Jesus Christ was crucified after 69 weeks of years following the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. 69 weeks of years equals 483 years. And when one computes this, taking into account leap years and the Babylonian years, which were only 360 days long, and of course Daniel was writing from Babylon, then we come out with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ exactly as history tells us it happened. It happened somewhere around 30 to 32 A.D. Now, all the ages of God have their meaning in Christ's death for sin. Even the coming kingdom age rests on the finished sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek means he would make an eternal offering. Now that's the meaning of once in verse 26. It implies once for all time. 
Let me read that. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And because he made one offering for all time, for all sin, for all men, God asked the believer in Christ to be so satisfied with the finished work of Jesus Christ that he no longer should seek any other solution to the sin problem. People do, however. They go to church when they sin. Somehow they think that will help bring forgiveness. Or they do some meritorious thing, such as helping others or giving money away, instead of looking back at the cross and thanking God that Jesus Christ died for all sin, for all time. Now, either his one sacrifice is enough, or we are in serious trouble, and the inspired word of God is not reliable. Can you believe verse 26? that he put away sin as far as God's judgment is concerned by the offering of himself? Hold on to that truth. God wants you to believe it, and don't permit the evil one to raise doubts about it. There is nothing quite as blessed as knowing that your sin problem has been solved forever. It's all past. Can you believe it? God wants you to. Now we come to verses 27 and 28. He says, And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I can understand how verse 27 is terrifying to some people who don't know salvation. They have never experienced the forgiveness of sins. And whenever a passage like this announces that it is appointed unto men to die once and after that comes judgment, terror enters their minds and their hearts. Now this is a general statement and it's applicable to all mankind but not to believers. Why not? Because believers are trusting in Jesus Christ who took their judgment for sin. Everyone must face judgment, and the believer has already faced it when by faith he looked back upon hearing the gospel, he looked back at the cross and realized that Jesus Christ was dying for him, and he put his trust in that. He believed it. He put his complete faith in that work of Jesus Christ because God planned it and God accepted that sacrifice as his sacrifice. Now, if your judgment is passed and the sin problem has been resolved, there is no threat concerning a future judgment for sin. Now, the Bible does talk about a future judgment for believers but not in regard to sin, because that is resolved. And that's the reason Christians can be happy. They have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I must say that I, before I became a believer, was terrified with death and the certainty of hell and punishment. 
Did I deserve it? Oh, I did. I was convinced of that. But then when I heard the gospel of grace, that God was not trying to get me, he was trying to save me. And he was extending to me his gracious offer and his invitation to believe in Christ as the sin-bearer. When Jesus Christ was crucified, the judgment of God for the sins of all men fell upon him. And when I believed in Jesus Christ, that became my judgment. And the sin problem was solved forever. Think of this. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are crucified with him. We are buried with him and we are raised with him. Because God counts his crucifixion, death and burial and resurrection as ours. After all, he was doing it for us. And we shared his judgment too. For what sins need the Christian be judged in the future? Since Christ died for all sins. None. I'm reminded of John 5.24. What a precious promise coming from the lips of the Savior. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and does not come into judgment. Now, that's a promise to believe. I'm reminded also of Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Isaiah made this prophecy more than 700 years before Jesus was born, and he talked about how your sins, even before you committed them and before you were born, would be laid upon Jesus, who was not yet born. Isaiah foresaw all this, that it was done for us, and we benefit from it. Now, we have talked about believers not having a future judgment because their judgment took place some 19 centuries ago, but how about the unbelievers? Oh, they definitely must face judgment. God is just. He can't let people get away with sin. He has established the rules. He makes them all by himself without consulting with any theologians or religious leaders. God is running this world. And he, in the end, will see that every man gets what he deserves. There will be a judgment, and it will be a judgment for sin. And that judgment is described in Revelation chapter 20. We call it the Great White Throne Judgment. Why do we call it that? Because John used that expression. We find it in verse 7 of Revelation 20. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
Now that's an awful prospect for those who have not believed. If they don't want to believe and be saved by the work of Jesus Christ and are trying to be saved by their own works, then God will accommodate them, obviously. He'll open the books and judge them according to what they have done. They'll be judged according to their works. Why their works? Because, believe it or not, most people think they are not too bad and that they have done things worthy of salvation. It's amazing how many people have this false security. And what is it based on? They compare themselves with the people who are the worst in society. How many times people compare themselves with those prisoners in Angola or in St. Gabriel? They don't compare themselves with the best of men or women. Do you have peace with God? Are you satisfied that your sin problem has been resolved? Our free booklet, entitled Heaven's Password, will give you answers to those problems right today for it. Ask for Heaven's Password. It's free. Heaven's Password will explain that God does not have a list of things which you must do before he will accept you. God is looking for people who will believe him, and he has a gift for you. It's known as eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.